Hi, I'm Maya. I'm Melissa. And I'm Olivia. And we're here to take you back to your, your Twilight, Twilight phase. <laughs> I really see a future where a review is like, why do they always say that that's so annoying and then keep doing it? And it's because we want to. We <laughs> like doing it. So this is our second ever mini-sode, and today we are honored to be joined by New York Times bestselling author Cass Morgan. <laughs> I know. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers abound. Cass is the author of The 100 series, which was adapted into a show for The CW. She's also the author of Light Years and Supernova. When she's not writing your favorite books, besides Twilight, she works as an editor. Thanks for joining us, Cass. Thank you for having me. I'm having a lot of fun already. <laughs> that introduction is adorable. Thank you. So on our mini-sodes, we are having on special guests to talk about sort of the wider phenomenon of Twilight. On our regular episodes, we're rereading and doing a real deep dive, line-by-line analysis. Um, but on our mini-sodes, we want to bring in some new perspectives and talk about everything about Twilight that is not just the books, which is, there's a lot. There's so much. Infinite. I mean, it was a phenomenon. So, let's just get started with the first question. Uh, Cass, what was your Twilight phase? Like, did you read the books, and when, and how did you feel about them? I absolutely read the books. Um, the first one came out in 2007, I think? I think it was 2005. 2005. I always forget. We talk about it all the time, and I always forget. The movie came out in 2008. Got it. So I probably read it my first year in publishing when I was an editorial assistant. Wow. And then, yeah, I read every book as soon as it came out. I even went to the release party for Breaking Dawn. Yes. Yes. It was a lot of fun. It was actually, it was like a concert the night before to get people excited no for Breaking way. Dawn. We were already never excited. heard of that. What kind of concert? I don't remember. Um, there were musical acts of some variety. I don't know if they were inspired by the books. Wow. Was it Lincoln Park? No. <laughs> no, it was not. Was um, it awesome. <laughs> I wish. Damn it. I lost it. I had a question. I lost <laughs> it. I think Stephanie Meyer might have... You don't remember if you saw Stephanie or not? Well, now it was like That's 12 years ago. <laughs> it was a long time ago. It was a long time ago. That's true. I think she was there. I oh. think she was looking great. Was it at a bookstore? No, it was at some event space. Oh, wow. It was like way too many people for a bookstore. Wow. Did you, ever, did you ever go to the Twilight Prom? <gasps> no. That was on the West Coast, wasn't it? Like in that was a whole thing. They were all over. There. Joseph Beth. Okay, one. yeah, we had one, but like there was an official oh. like prom that you could go to in Forks. Wow. Because like prom is such a big part of Twilight. I like went bookstores had proms. Yes, yes, I went to the midnight release party that I went to was prom themed. <laughs> that is really cool. <laughs> so, how into the books were you? Uh, I became increasingly into the books. Yeah. I think the, when I read Twilight, it was in a semi-professional capacity. I just started working in publishing. I wanted to know what all the fuss was about. Mm-hmm. And then for the rest of the books, I was absolutely reading as a fan. And I've read each book multiple times. Yeah. Even the I, last one? Yeah. Especially I feel like the last one. <laughs> There's so, a lot to take in. It's so fascinating. Because <laughs> I always reread the previous ones as I get to the last one, and then okay. the last one I don't always Gotta reread them all over again. Right. Yeah, for me, it's like, 
up through the first half of Breaking Dawn, I am with it. But then there's a scene, and I think I've talked about this on the pod before, where... Is it about milk? No, no. it's not about milk. <laughs> Edward describes... No, it's Jacob. It's Jacob's narration, and he describes them trying to save, Bell, save Bella's life as working over a corpse. And that, like, description got me so to my core, and I was so horrified by it that I was like, that was the point. I, well, it was good writing. It was so good that I don't like to read that part anymore, so I just stopped before it. Um, so, Kaz, do you have a Twilight hot take? You mean? Like, what do you feel like we need to know about Twilight that we're not talking about? What is the discourse missing? I mean, I know you guys have hit on this already, but I feel like... Twilight occupies this really interesting space. It's the intersection of people's panic about vampires, which Mm. has been a hot-button issue since the beginning of literature, and people's panic over what teen girls are reading. Mm. And Mm. vampire fiction and young adult fiction have always been a source of scrutiny and anxiety for, for people in power, and it's so fascinating that those two forces collide with Twilight. Mm. Um, anything young women have been excited about has been a source of derision for centuries. Um, Even Jane Austen would bring up how novels that were popular with young women were seen as dangerous or inferior, and it's something she tackles in one of my favorite books, Northanger Abbey. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, you have vampires, you know, cropping up in fiction at moments of intense anxiety and change, you know. During the Victorian era, they represented sort of fears of industrialization and feminism. And in the 20th century, they represented fears of infection and disease. And I think anytime vampires become popular, it's because society is grappling with some some change. And I think with Twilight, it was more about the power of teen girls as Ooh. consumers, as Shit. readers. <laughs> So I, I just got chills. <laughs> I don't know if that's a hot take. Lukewarm? That, that is a hot take. That's the hottest take. I love that the vampires that like got everyone up in arms this time around were like the sexy vampires that sparkle. I do, yeah, I think it's like, I feel like vampires have always been kind of sexy, but these are like the non-macho sparkly vampires. Yeah. Like that was part of why everybody was so up in arms. Which, yeah. as a teen girl, that like appealed to me so much more than like, I don't know, some, like, scary, muscly vampire. Old man, yeah. yeah. And scary vampires who don't really want, or sexy vampires who don't really want to have sex. Like, yes. that's oh, a yes, big departure. Yeah. Vampire. I know, they're, I like, was, so safe. I was going to bring up, like, you know, there have been some vampires in teen fiction, even prior to Twilight. Like, there was right. Vampire Diaries oh, yeah. that came out. So I was, like, wondering, do you think, right, is it, like, the virginal aspect that really through Twilight ahead of the game as far as vampires and teen fiction, or this could be a group question too. That's a great question. Um, I think a lot of the time vampires represent something you fear, mm-hmm. whether it's something you fear about yourself or your society or the people around you, but with Twilight, it was much more aspirational. It's, Ooh, they yeah. were rich and attractive and lived forever and you really do everything. Yeah, secu- mm-hmm. but I do think that Bella likes. We were just reading a section where Bella's become surprised by herself. Like her life is really boring, 
and then Edward shows up, and everything is, like, interesting and new and exciting and dangerous. Yeah. And she's, like, maybe scared of that, but it's also really exciting. Yeah, it's sort of the antidote to high school. If high school mm-hmm. is boring and stressful and you don't know who you are, here are these vampires who are going to be who they are forever. They're never going to change. Mm. They are totally confident in the role they've created for themselves. And they don't care who they sit with at lunch. Like, right. They don't have to worry about it. So the juxtaposition is so powerful because they are in high school with you. Right. Like, right That's next really to unfair. you. really unfair. Edward is literally 17 forever. Mm-hmm. Which sounds like some people's worst nightmare. <laughs> yeah, in retrospect, it doesn't sound great. No. <laughs> but at the time, that was sexy. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a question for you, Cass. You're an editor. So do you have like a different perspective on the books because you were an editor in the industry at the time as opposed to just reading as a fan from the start? Or do you feel like since you began reading for a fan, like, any editorial perspective is just, like, out the window. That's interesting. I haven't really thought about that. I was definitely, you know, closer in age to the YA reader at that point than I was to most of my colleagues. Um, So I don't think I was reading so much as an editor, Mm. but I was curious to figure out what was it that was creating this phenomenon. So I think I went in with some professional curiosity and then was just totally pulled into the story and started reading as a fan because... As you guys will remember, it kicked off this incredible craze. The paranormal trend went on forever, and there were tons of successes, but nothing quite captured people's imaginations like Twilight did. And, yeah, I've always been curious about what it was about those books that, you know, people would sometimes rather return to than trying something new. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, it's something we weren't ever quite able to crack. Right. We still don't know. <laughs> it, it was so big that Barnes & Noble like had that like paranormal romance section. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Section. And every yeah. book cover was black and red back and red, then. Yep. Yeah, we've talked, about how amazing, we've talked about how amazing this cover is before. Yeah. What do you, if you were to hazard a guess, what do you think it was that made it so big? I have no idea. It was a special kind of alchemy. Uh, One thing I think it did differently than other books at the time is that Bella didn't have to do much to prove that she was special. You know, she Mm -hmm. didn't have to learn how to sword fight or slay monsters. Well, at some point she did. Or reinvent herself or lose weight or change herself for a boy or become popular or win student body president or go on a quest. You know, people call her passive sometimes, but she doesn't feel any more passive than I was in high school. And I think there was something really satisfying about seeing a girl who gets what she wants, who's the object of adoration for this incredible guy, because of who she is, because of her normalcy, who Mm -hmm. doesn't have to go to extraordinary lengths to prove that she's special. She's special just by being herself, and because her blood smells really good. (laughs) I love that. Yeah, that's a great point, and I think that we kind of rag on Twilight sometimes, like, why Bella, and we did do a reading from Stephanie Meyer's own website that was, like, she has a very extended fact section on her website. If you haven't read it, I recommend it, and one of the questions was, like, okay, but, like, why is everyone so into Bella? And her answer is, like, yeah, well, in Arizona, she was just, like, kind of normal, and in Fork, she was cuter, and that's enough. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I mean, yeah. 
Yeah. I wonder where I can move. <laughs> it would just be fantastic. Yeah. Right. I'm sure. I mean, she almost phrased it like forks is like so garbage. <laughs> <laughs> So forks. All right, I'm gonna you know try tindering and forks. See what I mean. <laughs> Cass, you kind of touched on part of the uproar being because teen girls were so into it. It brings me back to like you know Beatlemania. People sort of ragged on teen girls for being so into that. Can you talk more about how you think that played into Twilight's reputation and legacy? Yeah, I think there's always been this weird anxiety about teen girl almost hysteria and letting their emotions run away with them right. and clouding their judgment. So in the 18th century, there was this author, Anne Radcliffe, who wrote The Mysteries of Udolpho, and it was one of those classic Gothic novels. And it was criticized for causing young women's emotions to run too high. They'd be too scared. They'd be too excited. And, of course, back then they thought that probably loosened their uteruses and had right. you know, floating through their bodies. Yeah. They'll <laughs> hit their brains and they'll act out. And, you know, there was an idea that they couldn't separate fact from fiction and that it would make them, you know, discontent with the banality of daily life and motherhood and wifehood. I think people were afraid it would give them a craving for adventure. Ideas. That part yeah. might be true. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's so amazing to me about what you bring up is that people still feel that way, which is so strange to think about. But I was talking to a friend's father one time about Harry Potter, not Twilight, <laughs> and he said, well, you know, it's okay to read Harry Potter as long as you don't believe in it. <laughs> Later on, he referred to the Necronomicon as a Satanist text, and so I was like, oh, no. You're the one you who believe can't it's real. Yeah. <laughs> You're the one who doesn't know the difference. But like people still have this idea that teen girls are gonna read these books and like not understand that it's made up and will be like adversely affected. Yeah, and that they have bad taste and anything that they love must not be worthy of our time or right. attention. And I'm really curious, like going back to Beatlemania. Like in my mind, the Beatles were critically acclaimed from the beginning, but is that not true? I don't know. Were they just like a boy band for a while? I think they might have been. I, don't I, quote me on it, but I remember I have many aunts, <laughs> <laughs> and I do remember hearing some like anecdotal stories about how you know they would have to like sneak out to listen to it to the Beatles or like they hid their records, and I'm not sure if it was a Beatlemania thing or just, you know, like my grandpa's pop music, like yeah. <laughs> strict about, right, about pop culture or whatever. But, uh, I mean, they did it in a way on my aunts that wasn't done for my dad. Right. So I definitely think there's, there's an aspect to that. Right, and teen girls were, like, so derided for liking the Beatles so much, even though they're now considered one of the best pop groups of all time you know like yeah. now they have so much respect and teen girls didn't get any respect for because like for recognizing how good it was we know what's good right which is kind of the opposite of what happened with twilight because if you look at the back of twilight you see that it's like highly critically acclaimed like a Kirkus <laughs> like best book of the decade it's all true these things, like starred reviews it it's highly critically acclaimed but now, if you like talk to any random person off the street, they're probably going to be like, "Oh, yeah, that book's like not good, right?" Right. Like, well, well, did you read it? Yeah, because and a lot of people back. did, and 
it's a joy. That's so right. interesting. Yeah, I don't remember getting all those starred reviews. Oh, yeah. So many. We didn't remember that either, but it has two starred reviews right here on the back of the book. Teen People, Publishers Weekly, Best Book. New York Times Editor's Choice. They don't give that out lightly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Wow. So I think we're in, like, you know, the, the eye of the storm type of thing. Once we get far enough past Twilight being published and, like, the movies, I think we're going to go more towards, oh, wait, Twilight was actually really good. And I still maintain, like, anything that captures that many imaginations, there's something there. Like, no yes. matter what flaws it might have, not everything captures the imagination of millions of people. Absolutely. And I always say, like, you can judge it all you want, but she's laughing her way to the bank. Yeah. <laughs> like, clearly Stephanie Meyer hit on something real. Mm-hmm. So I have another question for you. And it is, what was your opinion on Belle as a character at the time? And has that changed at all? Like, what, if anything, do you think she contributed to YA main characters going forward? My opinion of Bella has totally changed over the years. I think at the beginning, I actually kind of was affected by all of the slightly hysterical talk about she's too passive, she only cares about boys and, and love, and you know why isn't she out there learning to box or starting a nonprofit or like, <laughs> learning about getting to college? Really unfair criticism. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I drank the Kool-Aid a little bit, oh, yeah. and as I revisited the book, as I spent more time in publishing and as I got older, you know, I started to realize there are so many different forms of strength and forcing teen girls, especially teen heroines in books to sort of work within the confines of a really specific idea of bravery and heroism. To is save the world. Exactly. It's kind of limiting and maybe mm. a little sexist to say that female strength can only look like this. And I yeah. think Bella is so strong. She knows what she wants. She doesn't give up. No matter how many times Edward says, break up with me because I'm probably going to kill you at some point. <laughs> She's like, no. This she is... doesn't do it. Yeah. <laughs> she refuses. <laughs> and I think it inspired my own writing in a lot of ways. When I was working on my first book, The Hundred, one of my characters arcs is about protecting her boyfriend and the other ones are all trying to save the world and stop radiation poisoning and at first I really struggled writing that character but over the course of the editorial process I realized she is the strongest character of all choosing love choosing hope is an act of courage and it made me respect Bella all the more Mm. yeah yeah I do feel like now we talk about strong female characters all the time and it is like of course I want to see strong female characters, right. but it's such a specific type. It's always, Katniss. it's always right. It's always a girl who can fight and physically defend herself and lead, which which love, which are great, right. and women absolutely should be able to do that. But it's also not valuing other types of right. feminine strength. And I think it kind of mirrors how our understanding of feminism has grown over yeah. the past, like decade because I know when I was like a teenager I definitely was kind of like oh stereotypically girly things are right. stupid I'm like, not like other girls yeah. <laughs> like it's kind of stuck in that I'm not like other girls yeah. mindset right. but now we understand feminism more as about being the freedom to choose, to choose yeah. and like like being free to to be like kick ass in like a physical way or like 
hey you want to be a homemaker yeah. and like have a kid like you be the best homemaker and you have the best right. kid like I feel like we've come so far and Bella's kind of ahead of her time yeah because right after Bella we got like the Hunger Games and mm-hmm. so so many people compared Bella to Katniss and of course Bella is just gonna look like a regular not that exciting person but like Bella actually has the freedom to choose what she wants unlike Katniss who has to like overthrow a whole regime (laughs) (laughs) and you know more props to Bella you're right I mean I do remember specifically all the arguments I read online about how Bella was like the most Mary Sue like Mm -hmm. that was the first time I'd come across like the Mary Sue uh sort of trope as far as characters go, but I remember reading and being like, okay, but if Bella's a Mary Sue, then I'm a Mary Sue. <laughs> right, that's the point of Mary Sue. Exactly. Like, if Mary Sue's are lame, we're all lame. <laughs> so really, it's, it's a great thing to be. She's like the every woman hero. Yeah, and I think that's one of the reasons the books were so popular, mm-hmm. is that it was really easy to imagine yourself as Bella and going through, going on this adventure. Oh, yeah. Well, that brings me to my next question, which is, if we're all Bella, do we all have a white, sleeveless, collared, button-up shirt that we wear with our boyfriends? I have something to say about this. <laughs> we have a letter from a listener. Wow. So oh, I'm my God. <laughs> read this Cass excerpt. is impressed. She didn't know that we got letters from listeners already. Yeah. <laughs> this is our second one, so pretty big. Before we get your opinion on a white sleeveless button-up collared shirt, a note from Jess, who notes that she's a longtime listener, first-time complainer. <gasps> oh no! She says, as the subject line states, this is a complaint email. Whoa! As a frequent wearer of sleeveless button-down, <laughs> yes, with collars, I have to say that Jess, circa 2013 to 2015, would be very sad to think her very correct fashion choices would be under such scrutiny. Attached are two pictures of me looking <gasps> V-chic in the same shirt in Paris, France. Wow. Showcasing that it was even popular the world over. In your and my defense, my shirt is leopard print, which did have a cute mom at the beginning of the decade. While I cannot Leopard excuse, print does not count. It's not white. It's not white. <laughs> While I cannot excuse the fact that Edward copped Bella's look. Coped? Copped? It's copped. 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 I, I think that maybe we're missing a P here, but I've never seen this word written out, so I, don't I can't know. say. Perhaps during one of his stalking while she slept sessions, he raided her closets <laughs> and bought outfits to match? Her fashion choices in this scene are perfect for not just her character, but once again, it brings home her relatability to the teen girl audience. Wow. I will not stand wow. for further slander of her wardrobe choices apart from the khaki skirt. Go all the way in. <laughs> it's yes. khaki colored. It's yeah, not khaki. If you listen, you would know that it was khaki colored. Thank you for writing in. We love you. These photos are I, amazing. Okay, I maintain Jess circa 2013 is looking great. That is not a white collared shirt. That is a leopard print cute collared button-up shirt. And I feel like for me the main point is that Edward is the one wearing it under a sweater and then he unbuttons it. It's he outrageous. wears it unbuttoned. <laughs> Jess, can you do you have a rebuttal? Please write in. <laughs> okay, I, I want to say that my main complaint was that we don't really get many clothing descriptions right. in Twilight. No, not many. And the one that we get for when Bella and Edward are apparently wearing the same exact thing is that it is a collared no. button-up sleeveless. No, that's their sweat. Aren't they wearing They're sweaters? They're wearing sweaters over top. 
I'm sorry, I may have <laughs> missed this. Edward wears a Let me, sleeveless, I will sleeveless show you button-down collared shirt. I yes, will he does. show you the huh. page. So does Bella at the same time. You skim right over it because at the time you're too focused on like all the exciting, right. sexy things that are happening, and you just lean you into shirtless. Her, like the writing is like, isn't this amazing? And you're like, yeah, yeah. it is. But then when you slow down, it's a collared white sleeveless button up worn unbuttoned and i'm gonna add that i always imagined it as uh like an unfinished hem at the sleeve so that it's free that's a bad boy that's better that's That's better i like that i'm into that under a sweater (laughs) here it is his white shirt was sleeveless and he wore it unbuttoned okay oh I, I don't know that that means there have to be buttons all the way down. It could be a sleeveless shirt with just one button. Does that make it better? No. No. I mean, okay, no, that does make it a little better, but I don't think that's what happened. I'm trying to I'm trying to look at the text. I'm studying the text. <laughs> just one button, I think, is somehow worse, but if it were, like, two to three buttons, like a full V, and, like, with little and he like with decorative buttons that really shouldn't... I'm wondering if he has chest hair. But unbuttoning it, oh no. He wore it unbuttoned so that the smooth white skin of his throat flowed uninterrupted over the marble contours of his chest. His perfect musculature no longer merely hinted at behind concealing clothes. So a little quarter button, you don't see the whole (laughs) glorious thing. A quarter button is still hinted at. (laughs) Right. But this is not merely hinted at. He's out. I'm trying to picture my boyfriend in a sleeveless, <laughs> button-down, collared white shirt. <laughs> it's hard. And, yeah. It's I don't hard. know if you could pull it off. I just want to reiterate that Bella is also wearing one. That's different. <laughs> <laughs> it just sounds like a nice blouse. Wait, I do have a, a collared, button-down shirt that is not white. Um, it's black. Sleeves? Sleeveless. Sleeve. It is also yeah. sleeveless. Sorry, there's so many. Something about, maybe we're just imagining it as linen and it's not, I don't know. Listeners, write in. Tell us what you think. I think we have our Halloween costume for <laughs> yes. next year. I said the same exact right thing. Yes, this is great. I'm in. <laughs> so A blank white t-shirt that we draw abs on. <laughs> in light of this, I think this is a great time to ask you, Team Edward or Team Jacob? Team Edward. Of course. Yeah. I will accept no other answer. I have a long, long history of having crushes on vampires. Oh, fun fact. I auditioned for Interview with the Vampire when I was eight years old. Get out. Yes. Did not receive a call back. Wasn't even close. A crime. A but crime. Absolute crime. Oh, my God. So you were, you were always into vampires. It's always. Well... That probably predated my like real True. vampire phase, but yes. yeah, like I, I remember reading Dracula when I was babysitting. It was fifteen. I was alone. I was terrified, <laughs> but couldn't stop. Like yeah. you guys, I have not read Dracula. It's I actually read, really scary. I read half of it. I don't think I ever finished Dracula. It was a lot slower. I read it post Twilight, so I think my you know my vampire expectations were too high. So, what's so interesting about Dracula and Twilight and conversation, so Dracula 
the whole idea is that being bitten by a vampire makes women wanted and lustful, and they can't mm. control their urges, and they need to be killed because of that. They can no longer be productive members of society. Like, what? That's how you know someone has been bitten. It's when she starts shedding her decorum and showing a little ankle and, you know, flaunting those lascivious looks. And how did I not know about this? I did I not read in the second half. deeply comprehend Dracula. I must yeah. have missed that part. I read Dracula, and it w- clearly went over my well, head. And then Twilight, like, Bella is horny. Kind of does, does do that. She's yeah. very horny. And yeah. that's great. Starting in this book. This book. Like, it doesn't come later no. when they're talking about marriage and stuff. No. In this book, she's like, so are you, like, interested in me in that way? <laughs> and Edward says, I may oh, not God. be human, but I am a man. So yeah. from, like, their, like, third serious conversation oh, yeah, ever, she's like, Hey, what's up? <laughs> and I love, I love that. Right, Same. and she's the hero. Yeah, Bella, yeah. she does not get murdered at the end for her feelings. Exactly. Exactly. It's true. Would we say that Bella gets murdered? Oh, I guess technically she dies. It's an interesting <laughs> semantic <laughs> question. That might be for later on. Yeah. We'll, we'll bring you back on the podcast so, <laughs> to discuss that one question. <laughs> okay, so as you know, as a longtime Twilight fan... Different vampires bring, like, their most powerful, you know, human traits into their vampire life. Uh, And sometimes they get a special power. What would your vampire power be? Ooh. I know you guys sent me questions ahead of time, but I should have thought about this. (laughs) You (laughs) did not. My vampire superpower. Do we ever talk about what we think ours would be? We might have. We did, and I already forget what I said. I don't know what I said. That means we get to pick new ones. (laughs) It would probably be being the first one off the plane. <gasps> if I had superhuman speed. Speed. Yeah, I think I would just, the plane would land and suddenly I would be there, ready to go. Wow. Yeah. What? No, I, I mean, was at my seat. I walked normally. I think if you asked me at another time of year, I would come up with something different, but I'm having a lot of holiday travel anxiety, and that is what uh, is on my mind okay, right now. I literally pictured you, like, on the plane, like, in mid-flight, and you, like, jumped out. <laughs> <laughs> that too. That'd be more efficient. You could even just run home. Right. Yeah. Right. Just don't go to the airport. Just run home. Yeah. Oh, wait, wait. You said like flying, but in vampirism, it's just jumping really high and far. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody. No. Someone. I think it was Talia. Talia said oh, yeah, that yeah, she yeah. wanted to fly. I said, "Well, they get close." Yeah. They already jumped really far, <laughs> so it's kind of like flight. I like the idea of never sweating. Ooh. I think that's default for all vampires. Yeah. You just get that. (laughs) Okay, I have a new one for me. I have a B12 deficiency and a vitamin B deficiency, which means I'm always sleepy, and so I think I might be the only vampire that can sleep. Ooh. That would be great. That would change everything because one of the only things that made, um, I mean, not the only thing, but one of the things that made immortality not appealing to me, even when I was younger, was never sleeping. Like, that sounded awful to me. Like, never getting a break. You just have to be alive and, like, aware and conscious forever. Like, I need a break. I need to dream. I need to, like, be like, nope, too tired to do that. Maybe you could, like, go into a sensory deprivation tank or something. Yeah, just, like, sit. (laughs) Right. Just sit and do nothing. That's true. That'd be fine. rock. That'd be fine. And now I'm thinking of vampires in sensory deprivation tanks, and now I'm thinking of, like, what the vampire version of goop is. Like, who is the vampire lifestyle guru? (gasps) Probably Alice. Alice could pull it off. Yeah. It's true. Yeah, I can see that. She could pull it off. Amazing. 
Cass, thank you so much for joining us. Do you have anything you want to tell our listeners about? Anywhere they can find you online? Any upcoming projects? Yes. Let's see. I am on Twitter at Cass Morgan Books, on Instagram as Cass Morgan Books, and I just announced a new series <gasps> that I'm writing with my friend Danielle Page, <gasps> Earth on the Sky fame, and it is very magical. That's all I can say. <gasps> and it works very well with this podcast. Oh my goodness. Help. Yes. So. Look for more information. Do you have to come. a coming soon? Like when are we? Do we know anything? Just no. Future. Soon. Future. Future. Soon. Yes. That's so exciting. Wow. I yeah. heard it here first. <laughs> unless you heard it someplace else. Like <laughs> more than Cass Morgan and Daniel. Can't wait. Maybe it'll be our next read. This is the first time I've said it aloud. Wow. wow. Then you did hear it here first. <laughs> Exclusive. We're putting it in the episode title. <laughs> Uh, well, thanks for joining us, Cass. Um, everybody, don't miss our regular episodes. We are rereading and discussing the first Twilight book. You can email us with questions or complaints, if it must be that. Boo. I welcome the complaints. Twilightphasepodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us at Twilight underscore phase on Twitter and Insta, and we are Twilight Phase Podcast on Tumblr. Disclaimer, we own nothing. The Twilight Universe and all characters belong only to Stephanie Meyer. Please don't sue us. Audio editing by Maya Marlette. Cover image by Laura Shermer. Our theme music is written and performed by Adrian Morin. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. And if you don't like it, you can bite me. (laughs) Bye. Bye.